0: Today, on It's Time.
1: For in Him, verse 28, we live and move and have our being. I hear the calling, it's time. It's time. It's time.
0: time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler,
1: Because, by the way, they'll also say all of us are God's sons as well, so you've got to be careful there. Well, let me ask you a question. Was he God? No, he wasn't God. He was God's son. In fact, one of many of God's sons. Uh, Jesus just had a way of enlightenment that was maybe a little different than perhaps Buddha or Mohammed or some of these others. And you'll find that they have these very strange ideas. So, What Paul did here, understanding that right out of the right out of the right when he stood up, he didn't insult them. But he endeavors now to share with them in their mentality, in their understanding. As I was passing through, considering the objects of your worship. Notice God we worship is an unseen God. He said objects of your worship. You'll find this in cults. And you'll find this in people that don't know God. They will have something that they reference to on earth as a, you might say, an anchor point for their faith. Well, we have a temple. Or, you know, we have our creed. Or we have uh, our dress code that we have. They will anchor to something not in the invisible world. They'll always, because, you see idolatry is, is necessary to remind people of their spirituality, you might say. Where we have the Spirit of God living in us, we don't need statues, pictures, or anything else. Now, if you've got a picture on the wall, that's okay. It's not a problem. But if you think that's exactly what God looks like and limited to the picture hanging on the wall, yeah, you might have a problem. So he says, As I was passing through, I considered the objects of your worship... And I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, Him I will proclaim to you. Talk about the bridge build. He found that that they needed defined. Now friends, when you share your faith with people, I guarantee you, Much of their life is undefined. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they've been. They don't know what's after life. They don't know what's in this life. You think I'm kidding? Talk to somebody that's a devout. Enter the name there. And say, if you died today, would you go to heaven? You'll find amazing answers. They'll say, well, I've done the best I can. Well, that tells me right there, there's doubt. They don't know. By the way, if you die and you ain't going to the right place, it's too late to do anything about it. You know what I'm saying? We got a problem. You better have what the Bible calls the assurance of salvation. What's the assurance of salvation based upon? It's based upon God, not upon me or you. Because if it was based upon us, we fail. God never fails. So I can trust him to in the things I don't know but they don't have that so he says you have this to the unknown God he capitalized on their inability to define spirituality because you see they had all these statues to all these gods now just think about it for a minute Let's just say we were in that circle of the Stoic and the Epicureans and all we thought was life is for pleasure and we want to please the gods so, you know, they don't rain hail on us or burn up our crops with drought or something like that. So we, we all want to get together and do this. Now, okay, we've got one Aphrodite to the sex god. we got one to the Moloch, you know, what we do with all the illegitimate kids that are born. We got one, or, you know, we got all this stuff going on. Now, here's a problem. What if there's a God out there that we forgot? Boy, he's going to be mad. I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's build a platform. Don't put anything on it, just to the unknown God. So that's kind of like a carte blanche. It'll catch anything that that um, the other ones don't. That's the one Paul picks. You, you see, things can stay gray till you come into God, and when they come, when you come into God, things are defined. See. You don't have to say, well, when I die, I hope I make it. You can say, when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Because God takes the gray and makes it absolute. He takes uh, things unknown and makes them known. Paul says, you have the unknown God, I'm going to make him known to you. Notice what he says. God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now we not only find this in 1st King when Solomon dedicated the temple, these exact words, we have Paul the Apostle in the New Testament saying the same thing. So anybody that thinks their building is super spiritual is not reading the Bible. God does not dwell in buildings made with men's hands. We're in a nice building tonight. Thank God for plaster, two by fours and uh, carpet. It, it keeps the wind and the snow and the heat off of us. It's a great thing. But it's a box. In fact, somebody came up to me a couple Sundays ago and they said, I used to go to church with you guys when you were in the YMCA and then when you went downtown and you were in the roller rink. And I, I said... I said, yeah, I I remember you. And I said, we got a new box. This is a good box. It's nice. Fans don't kick on in the middle of the service, you know. It sounds like you're out at the airport with planes taken off. The heaters would do that. And um, and the other one had hardwood floors that, you know, you'd walk across and you couldn't hear anything except somebody walking on the hardwood floors. Um, And I said, "Our, our new box is really nice. But friends, that's what it is. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the scripture tells us. And God will live only in you and in heaven. Now we know that he takes up his residence inside of us. You say, Mike, why is that important? You'd be surprised how many people in our town do not know that. They think that somehow a building is spiritual. No, I think we need to have respect for this building the same as we would for anyone that comes over to your house. You wouldn't come in and on your brand new carpet, eat a bunch of Doritos and drop them in the rug. You wouldn't bring your Pepsi in there on your new sofa that's leather and spill it on the couch. So we want to have the same respect for that. But the reason, again, we've went over this a lot of times, the reason this building is holy is because holy people are in the building. You take the holy people out of the building, it's a room of two by fours, sheetrock, and carpet, and chairs, and things like that. You say, well, that seems to be so elementary. You'd be surprised how many people don't know that. So Paul starts off with these who were, now you have to understand the mentality here. They were visually oriented to worship God or to think about God. Okay? Visually tied. We as Christians, we're not so much. We can be, and there's different groups that are. But we as Christians, primarily... The Bible says we're two are gathered uh, in my name. There I am in the midst. Uh, We don't need a a fancy building for that. And and if you're less than two... Two or more gathered in his name. He's in the midst. If it's less than two, if it's just you... Then it's the personal relationship of God in which God speaks to you. So, understanding that, then, he was addressing a group of people who were sight sensitive towards religious things. And notice he says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he's Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Again, they had temples everywhere they had temples to Apollo and all these others that they that they worshipped and he says who God made now again we we see this whole idea of evolution attacking God making everything you see the the Stoics and the uh, and you might say the the Epicureans simply believed everything always was you see they're It was all predetermined. Everything always was, it always will be. And there's, again, you're just a moment, you're a speck on the the timeline of eternity. Well, the problem with that is, then what do you have to look forward to? Well, he says, God made the heavens and the earth. Boy, I'll tell you, that's pretty impressive. Even Hubble spacecraft keeps sending back pictures, about worn out, but... Sends back pictures of things we've never seen before. We realize just how great our expanse of the heavens are. And the earth and all of its intricacies and how there's the symbiotic relationships between plants and animals. And how they all had to be created at the same time for that to work. Notice he also says, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives, all, gives to all life breath and all things. Notice he says he is not worshipped with men's hands. This is not talking about lifting your hands up to the Lord. This is saying that God is not worshipped with the carving of images that you would make with your hands. This is the mentality what he's saying. As if he needed anything. What? And this is what David said. David says I want to build you a temple and God spoke back to him and said what, what building will you build for me? Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, it's what I rest my feet on what will you build for me? God, there's nothing friends that I have, that you have, that I can give to God to increase God okay? Now, that, now I know that's hard for some of us because we think more highly of ourselves than we to think but the truth is God doesn't need me but I need God. We talked about this before, the gifts that God gives each one of us. And God does give us gifts. Some are acquired. Some are just natural gifts that God gives us. Your gift back to God is how you use them. Some people use their gifts very selfishly. Some people bless others with the gifts that they have. And so he says, he's not worshipped. With the things that make with men's hands as if God needed anything. But he's the one that gives life and breath to all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And has determined their pre-appointed time and boundaries of their habitation. Now that's just a really kind of a long way of saying when your number's up, your number's up. And that's true. We're all just here for a short time, friends. We might want to think we're here longer than we think. Paul says life is but a vapor. It's here for a short time and it's gone. You think about it for a minute and um, pre-appointed time. And uh, only God knows when that number is. I, uh, you think about that. Most people that die in a day, the last thing they have on their mind when they get up in the morning is they're going to die that day. That's a hard thing to really think about. That you may not, I may not be here tomorrow. Might be gone. Where'd he go? <laughs> See, we don't think about that. But he's saying, understanding that life we're here and then we're gone, then he says, so that they should seek the Lord. If you know then that you have no promise of tomorrow, it's a predetermined time which you do not know, you then should seek the Lord. You should seek God who made all these things that gave life. In the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Should seek. Doesn't mean people do. And this is what Paul is saying. There is a desire to know, since we are are mortal beings, you might say, because of this mortality that we face, we need to seek what's beyond ourselves. Now remember who he's addressing. He's addressing stoic mentality. He's addressing Epicurean mentality. And he's saying, because you don't know you're going to be alive tomorrow, maybe you should think about, you should be seeking God. And he's not far from us. He's not hard to find. And he's saying there's no comfort really in your life until you find God. Because life is not defined. And you cannot live in question marks. Have you ever lived in a... Isn't that the most horrible thing? I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. But, you you know, you go and apply for a job. And you really like the job. It pays really good. And you fill out all the papers. And you go for your interview. And the guy smiles. and goes, yeah, yeah. You're like one of our guys, you know. And and so, I'll call you Friday. And you sit there and stare at the phone on Friday, just waiting for it to call. And that unknowingness eats you alive. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or if you're single, you meet a girl, you want to call her on the phone or a guy. Oh, well, he call me. I don't know if he's going to call me. Oh, there's the phone. I can't leave tonight because he might call. You know, and, and that unknowing is torture. This is what he's saying. That if you realize you're going to die someday, that there's a pre-appointed time for all of us, we should seek the Lord, in the hope that he and that we might grope for him that means really look for him, though he's not hard to find. For in him, verse 28, we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul here is building a bridge, he's saying, even some of your own. Some of your own poets, Erastus, said we are his offspring. That should let you know that if we're his offspring, there's got to be something more than just living for pleasure or living on earth and dying. He says that in him we live, move, exist, and have our being. Now, what's that like? Like a fish? A fish has its life, its movement, it's everything in the water. You take the fish out of the water, the fish will die. But you put the fish in the water, the fish will live. Because in it, it lives and moves and exists and have its, has its being. So, he's saying, we then need to be immersed in God. Notice he says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said we're his offspring. Therefore, building on that previous thought, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art in man's devising, here he's going after what he—I believe the Holy Spirit says—this is the obstacle, Paul. You have to overcome in their life. And by the way, there's a lot of those when you share your faith with somebody. I have talked to people that want to receive Christ, but they're shacked up, and they'll say, "Does that mean that if I get saved, I shouldn't be living with my boyfriend or my girlfriend anymore?" I said, "Exactly." Well, I don't know about that. Well come back tomorrow there's something that a lot of times people will hold on to because they don't want to repent from that in which god will put his finger on and say for you to fully be who you are this is something you're going to have to allow to go out of your life now he says god is not in the nature of like you think carved images and gold and silver and things of the earth, literally. Art of man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. You see, he put his finger right exactly on where their issue was. And that was idolatry. Now it doesn't say God punished it, because at times he did. But he said he overlooked it. But now that you know the difference, you have transcended into a different realm because now you know the difference. And that's why when you share Christ with somebody, they are never the same person ever again. There was a time they could have lived in the gray, and they lived in the gray, but when you present the truth of the gospel, things then become very clear, black and white, and then they have to make a decision what they're going to do with the information that you shared them. No longer can they say, well, I sure don't know what life is about. Well, now you do. And so he says, because, now he goes back to what he already stated. Look at this. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead, speaking of Jesus. He's saying, look, there's a judgment coming. Just as we talked about that pre-appointed time and and all that, well, uh, there's something that God wants out of you. And notice he says, raising him from the dead. Hmm. You mean you can live again after you're dead? This was a concept that was hard for them. And so it says, and when some of them heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Uh, You know, it's it's in the distance. Uh, And by the way, that's the way it is today. You'll notice there's two things you'll find they'll mock you or they'll say, come back tomorrow. That's kind of the way it works. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and, and believed. And among them was Dionysus, the Arrow and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Now, uh, this Arrow He was connected with the court system. He was a a ranking leader of some level. And it's interesting that it mentions him in this way. So as we look at this then, Paul shares faith with people. Sometimes lots got saved. Sometimes just a few. The point is, is that people are going to believe something. My prayer is that you, the family of God, get to them before people in the cults do. My prayer to you is that is to God, is that you would get to them before the evolutionists get a hold of them and say, well, we're just evolved cosmic sludge. That God would use you before the Epicurean lyrics and the songs on the radio or the Stoic philosophy that's through the television gets to them before the gospel message through you. You see it's kind of funny if you think back about it, think of some characters that you remember on TV that were stoic. Always cool. James Dean. The Fonz. Cool. Think about some of those guys. And then you think of some of the others that were the epicureans. Party on, dude. And you think about that and you realize that people are identifying. See, the reason people watch that stuff is they identify with that. What I'm saying is be a bridge builder. And when you understand how they think. And not everybody came from maybe the same world you did before you came to Christ. But there's ways that people think. And like I I say, this is why I believe that Paul... Wrote these things and, and, and that uh, Luke wrote these things down for us concerning the life of Paul so that would we would be able to understand that in order to share the gospel, there has to be, you might say, that unction from the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit reveals to you what's inside of them. And friends, that's what the word of knowledge is. And that's how it works. So let God use you in a great way. He will. Father, tonight, thank you for your love, for your word. We ask you, God, that you'd bless this time, and thank you again for your faithfulness. As we look at this tonight, God, help us be bridge builders, to be noticing those things, those traits and tendencies about the people that oftentimes we work around, the things that they're attracted to, so we can bring your message of hope to them. And just as the early church moved in your Holy Spirit, so
0: God, may we, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store, or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening.